what do these images on the screen all have in common? A horse with a bridle and bit, a ship with a rudder, and a wild fire. While you're thinking of these images, let me add three more. A killer whale, a fig tree, and a fresh water spring. All of these images, these objects, illustrate in one way or another one of the smallest muscles in our entire body. That muscle is right here, the tongue. And what the Apostle James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, does is he takes each one of these images and he builds a powerful case teaching us a very powerful lesson. That lesson is this. The truth about your tongue is the truth about you. What, does that grab your attention this morning? That grabs my attention. Let's turn for a moment to James chapter 3. We are continuing in our studies in the book of James, and this morning we start James chapter 3. And I want you to notice how James opens with verses 1 and 2. Listen to what he says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach we judge with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now I want you to notice what James is saying here. He makes two points in these opening verses. Leaders must be spiritually mature. When he describes here a perfect man, this does not mean sinless, but it's talking about mature, somebody who is complete, or what we might call grown up spiritually. The second thing James says is that maturity is best revealed by a controlled tongue. He says if we're able to control what we say, we're able to bridle the whole body. If you can control your tongue, you can control the rest of your body. Self-control over this little muscle will lead to self-control over all the muscles in our body. So what James is saying is this, if we want to see who is fit to teach us, just listen to how they talk. Send a tape recorder with them 24-7. And then at the end of 24-7, listen to that tape recorder and then ask yourself, is this the man or the woman that we want teaching us? Do we see the truth here? The truth about your tongue is the truth about you. Uh, We could put it another way. Our tongue tells the truth on us, doesn't it? Our tongue tells the truth on us. Now, why is this true? Well, that's what James is going to develop in the rest of the opening 12 verses here. He's going to give us three lessons about the tongue that emphasize this great truth. And I don't know about you, 
But if there's one area I need God to teach me, this is that area. Let's bow for just a moment and pray. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for the insight that you have granted to the Apostle James. Lord, it's so easy for us to disassociate how we speak, the way we speak, what we say, from what we may think about ourselves. But because, Lord, you are very interested in practical Christianity, you are interested in us being what we claim to be, you take us into the depths of our own life and you show us the need to bring our tongue before you and allow you to purify it, to change it as you change us. So guide us in our understanding this morning. And Lord, we pray that we will be different, that we might represent you as you have called us to. For Jesus' sake, amen. I want you to notice as James begins, he starts in this message that I'm calling the truth about your tongue and you with the two images of the bit and the rudder. Let's continue on, shall we, in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot directs. Now notice this. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now notice that in these two images, James is teaching us that the tongue has power to control. As you look at this horse with the bit and the bridle, you understand the tremendous power in a horse. Uh, Take a 550-pound barbell, lay it on the back of a quarter horse. That 550 pounds is enough to challenge Olympic weightlifters. Yet you put it on a quarter horse, and that horse will barely snort. Do you know a quarter horse can race a quarter of a mile in 25 seconds. That's why we calibrate our engines in horsepower. A horse is a half ton of raw power. Yet you put a a bridle and a bit on that horse and a 100-pound woman can cause that horse to turn in circles. Now, if you've been around horse training, you understand why. You understand that that bit places pressure on that horse's tongue and causes pain. Uh, One day I was at a horse camp uh, as a young man, and I will never forget the, uh, the woman wrangler saying to us, a horse responds to pressure. And if you want that horse to go where you need it to go, you pull on that reins, and that bit creates pressure so that you can control that horse. Now, look at the ship with its rudder. James describes here a ship and how it is turned by a rudder. Uh, The ships in James' day were were small compared to the ocean liners and the warships of today. Yet in the book of Acts, do you know the Apostle Paul said he traveled on his journey to Rome on a ship that could hold 276 passengers. That is a large wooden ship. 
Now here in verse 4, James says about those large ships blown by very powerful winds, they were steered by a little rudder. Now you notice James' point in verse 5? He says about the tongue, it it makes great boasts. Uh, I love the way that uh, the Phillips translation in modern English says it. The human tongue is physically small, but what tremendous effects it can boast of. The tongue can utter a speech that can inspire multitudes to action. As we have seen in the last couple of years here in America, the tongue can incite a riot with angry and bitter words. I remember a number of years ago, the uh, uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, gave a speech. The stock market, as a result of that speech, stirred, surged with billions spent. And one journalist asked a panel this question. How can a few words cause the transaction of billions of dollars? You know what James would say? James would say the answer the power of the tongue. Do you know if our head usher were to walk in here right now and were to scream, fire, run for your lives, he could empty this sanctuary in a matter of seconds. What James is saying to us is never underestimate the power of the tongue. It can cause great good, but it can do great damage. Now, as he talks about this power, he wants us to understand the tongue has the power to show who is in control. Did you notice verse 3? We put the bit into the horse's mouth. The bit responds to the will of the rider. Did you notice verse 4? The rudder goes... Wherever the pilot directs. The rudder reflects the desire of the captain whose hand is steering that will. Now as we look at that, what is the point then that James is making? One's tongue reveals one's true heart. Pastor John MacArthur put it this way. The tongue is a tattletale that tells on the heart and discloses the real person. You remember how simply Jesus put it? He said, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Our tongue shows in our lives who is in control. When I was in seminary, I had a number of jobs as I did in college. One was in an insurance company. Uh, there was an older man in the company who had worked there for many years. His name was Mr. Buttonshawn. Uh, I'm sure that he has probably passed away now. That was 30 years ago. Mr. Buttonshawn had a dirty mind. It was a sad thing to see a man of his age with a dirty mind, and he loved to tell dirty jokes. I'll never forget one day, I was working in the uh, filing section of the office complex, And we heard Mr. Buttonshawn in the office section laugh. Florence, who had worked there for many, many years, said to me, 
as she heard the laughter from Mr. Buttonshawn, Buttonshawn must have told a dirty one. And I thought to myself, how would you be like to be known just by your simple laugh that you are a man with a dirty mind? All people have to do is hear a laughter coming from another area. And the first thing they thought about him was he was a man with a dirty mind. Let me ask, when people hear us speak, or if they were to hear us laugh, what would be the first thing that would come to their minds? Our speech and the way we talk reflects truths about us that cannot be hidden. That is the tremendous power of the tongue. Now notice the second two images. James goes on to talk about two other images, fire and a wild beast. And here what he teaches us is this lesson, the tongue is untamed. The tongue is untamed. He tells us that it is a wild fire. Look with me at verse 5 and notice what he says. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. Notice this amazing image about our mouths. The tongue is a fire. I have a butane lighter with me this morning. If I were to light this butane lighter, a very little flame would come. I did this last night, so the lighter does work, but I won't do it this morning. But if I were, this would have a very little flame on it. Do you know that flame would have the potential to burn down this entire building? A small flame, if it gets out of control, can literally become a wildfire. It can consume and burn everything in its path, wreaking havoc and destruction. And now what James says to us, a wildfire is a perfect example of a runaway tongue. It can do enormous damage. In fact, in verse 6, four statements about the tongue are the strongest statements you will ever read about the danger of the tongue. Let's look at them for just a moment. Notice, he says, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. That's a reference to this sinful world system. All that is evil, vile, and ungodly. Since the tongue is connected to the heart, what the Bible is saying, it is the very expression of the world's wickedness. It can utter every evil thought and every evil motive. You can sit around a campfire with a group of people And by their tongue alone, they can put into words every evil deed we could ever imagine. Notice, secondly, he says about the tongue, it stains the whole body. A filthy, defiled tongue stains the whole person. When I was in college, I pumped gas at Union 76. 
We were a full-service gas station. So that meant we checked oil, we checked tires, we would add water to the window washer. And I'll never forget one day, a lady pulled in, and and when I asked her how much gas she wanted, I asked her if I could perform one of these services on her car. Do you know she took that simple little request, and she turned it into an off-color remark. I was shocked. Shocked that a woman could speak this way, let alone to a total stranger. And that one comment that she made stained her entire life. James says, next, the tongue sets on fire the whole course of life in verse 6. That's an interesting expression. It means the wheel of our genesis, what we might call the circle of life. James here is describing the tongue and how it can set on fire the whole course of human existence. Relationships can be set ablaze by the tongue. Slander can stir an entire community. A nation can be aroused by propaganda. Haven't we seen that? in the last couple of years. Do you know national hatred can stir international conflict which can shed rivers of blood? Do you know Adolf Hitler knew he could be successful when he discovered that he could speak with that tongue and he inflamed an entire nation? False teaching in a church can undo years and years of solid Christian living. And the careless sharing of somebody else's faults with people that do not need to know those faults can destroy an innocent person's reputation. The fourth thing that James says about the damage the tongue can do is he says literally in verse 6, it is set on fire by hell. Now you know that hell is Satan's place. It was the place that was prepared for him and his demons. What is interesting here, the verb set is in the present tense, so it means continually set on fire by hell. Probably here James is describing the person who has never been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, and thus their tongue is under the control of Satan. One Bible teacher has said what this means here is that a wild tongue has a direct pipeline to hell itself. And an unsaved person in control of a fallen nature can fulfill every desire of Satan with their mouth alone to pollute, to corrupt, and destroy. Such is the wildfire of the tongue. Now notice what James says. In light of this description, did you notice what he says? It cannot be tamed by any human being. Look at this in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, or reptile, and sea creature, can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But now listen to this. 
No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. All of us are familiar with Shamu, the whale. If you've ever been to SeaWorld and seen Shamu or one of the whales like Shamu, you know they can jump rope, you know they can bounce a ball around. And yet what kind of whale is Shamu? Shamu is a killer whale. In the wild, uh, a little uh, seal that barks and flaps its fins is food for Shamu. And in the wild, killer whales will chomp that seal to bits, turning the sea red with its blood. If you've ever seen a video of it, you know what I'm talking about. Still, that animal can be so trained and become so tame that you can see a trainer can rub the nose of that killer whale. Yet what does James say about this little muscle in our mouth? No human being, he says, can tame the tongue. Pastor Ken Hughes, who for many years pastored at College Church in in Wheaton, had this to say. I've never seen a man or a woman who in their own power could tame the tongue. People who have been delivered from alcohol or gambling or hard drugs find their most difficult opponent to be the tongue. In my former church, we had a wonderful man who was head usher for 30 years. His name was Don. Don was the most generous, gracious man that I've come across. He had the gift of giving. He literally gave away thousands of dollars to our church and to other ministry causes. One day, Don surprised me. He said to me, Pastor, when I became a Christian, he said, of all the vices that I had to give up, he said, the most difficult one for me to change was my language. And I was shocked because Don was a very gracious man. But then one day it happened. But one day a person made a mess in our church over near the windows of our sanctuary. And they made this mess after the custodian had done his work. So he had no idea that the mess was there. And Don, as the head usher, had someone point this mess out to him. He came over and looked at it, and immediately he jumped to his conclusion. The custodian hadn't done his job. He found him that very Sunday and lit into him with his angry, uncontrollable tongue. And later that week, that custodian, devastated, by how he had been treated, shared with me the story. And I thought to myself, Don was exactly right when he said our language is the most difficult challenge any of us have. What Don was saying to me that day when he said changing my language was my hardest vice to conquer is this truth. 
A human being cannot change their tongue alone. We have to have the Lord. Now notice how James is not going to allow us as Christians to finish with what he says about the non-believing tongue. Because he has two more illustrations. The final two illustrations are the spring and the fruit tree. And here's where he zeroes in on you and me as Christians. And the lesson is our tongues can be very inconsistent. Look at verse 9. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. By the way, um, if you want to uh, find cover, now would be the good time to uh, find cover here this morning in terms of what James says. Look at verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now what is James teaching us here? Well, he is teaching us by the figure of the spring and the tree that these illustrate consistency. Water purification in James' day was unknown. Everyone knew full well the immutability of sweet and bitter. A well was very well known. It was either sweet and good, or it was bitter and bad. And the Bible teaches us that trees are consistent as well. Remember what Jesus said? He said about a tree, you will know them by their fruits. Now, here is the application. Follow this application. Consistency is the mark of maturity. Please mark that down. Consistency in how we talk is the mark of maturity. So remember how James began. Who should be a teacher? Well, it's the mature person. Who's the mature person? It's the person who is consistent in how they speak. Because that shows they control their mouth. And if they can control their mouth, they control the rest of their body. Let me ask, what does this say about you? What does this say about me? Do you see what James is saying? A believer whose heart has been made pure by Jesus can still have an inconsistent tongue and thereby show they have not grown very much in their walk with the Lord. James says in verse 9, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father. You know what he's describing? He's writing here to Jewish Christians. And Jews would have this tendency. When they would speak of God in worship they would then say, blessed be he. So the name of God would be spoken, let's say, in a Jewish worship service amongst Messianic Jews, and they would immediately follow it up with, blessed be he. But then James says, those same Christians can curse people who are made in the likeness of God. What James is telling us here 
is that every single person bears the image of God whether they are saved or not. Therefore, every person is redeemable. They can be brought into the family of God. Now, if we happen to be in church, and we bless God, as we do in our praise, in our singing, in our speaking, as I do in my preaching, but then we express ill will of someone, or we abuse them by angry and unloving words, then we are denying the love of God towards a person who has been made in God's image. So we bless God by saying things about Him, but then by verbally abusing people, we are saying the opposite about God's attitude of love towards them. That is hypocrisy of the highest order. And it reflects a Christian who is immature. When I was uh, in seminary, I had a roommate who had a very short fuse. And uh, sometimes when we were out driving together, if a person in a car in front of us uh, would make a wrong move, my roommate would say, You idiot! You jerk! And I would quote these verses to him. I would say, Tony, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with the same tongue we curse man who is made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. I would say, Tony, these things ought not to be. By the way, he really appreciated it when I (laughs) said that to him. And let me hasten to add, there were verses he could have quoted against me as well. Now we can laugh at somebody who calls somebody a jerk or an idiot. Tony was discipling a young man by the name of Steve. Steve had a lot of problems in his life. One day in our apartment, Tony became very irritated about one of Steve's problems. And he let him have it. I've never been so embarrassed over one man humiliating another man in the presence of a third man. Tony later apologized, but the damage was done. From that day forward, His ministry in the life of Steve was effectively over. And I think I saw Steve one more time after that. Do we all know the question that's coming next? Do we have an inconsistent tongue? that reveals an immature heart? Do we act holy and good in church, but are sarcastic with our family and critical of other people? Do you know for some people the criticism starts as soon as they walk out of the doors of the church? I knew a man who confessed 
that every Sunday for dinner, he had roast roast preacher in front of his children. And years later, he regretted the enormous damage that he did to those children. I had a pastor friend the last two times I met him. He bad-mouthed another pastor in our town who I didn't even know. And I thought, why would he bad-mouth this pastor to me, and I don't even know that pastor? You know what the answer was? He was jealous of that pastor. And now if you were to mention his name to me, the one thing that would immediately come to my mind as I think about him is he was a jealous pastor. Can you imagine anything more sad than me preaching God's word to you and yet having such a jealous heart that I would go out of here and badmouth another pastor I was jealous of? Do you see what James is saying to us? He is telling us that the mark of maturity is always consistency. And our tongue will reveal that more than anything else. Now let me close with something that I think all of us would like at this point. And that is how can we transform the tongue? And I want to help you as I help myself. I probably apologize more for the things that I say than anything else in my life. And I need this help. Number one, a clean tongue can only come from a cleansed heart. Jesus said in John 15.3 to his disciples, You are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. And so I have to ask you this morning, have you been cleansed by Jesus? Has he come into your life, transformed you, changed you, and cleansed you? If he has not, you will not be able to change the words you speak you will continue to wound, to harm, and destroy. It's only when a greater power comes into your life that you can control this wildfire. And that greater power has to be Jesus. In a few weeks, we'll come back to this wonderful testimony that that Jenny and Allie will have to share about how Jesus has transformed their lives. It's a testimony that many of us have. And it's the only way to control our tongue. Second, a careful tongue can only come from a prayerful heart. Do you know what David prayed in Psalm 19.14? He said, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David was praying that God would help him control your tongue. Let me ask us today, is this on your prayer list? 
Is it on my prayer list? Are one of the things that I come before the Lord and say, Oh Lord, help me with, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth might be acceptable in your heart, in your sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A careful tongue can only come from a prayerful heart. Finally, number three. A helpful tongue can only come from a humble heart. Did you notice what James picks up in verse 13 after this? Look what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Do you see what he's saying as he transitions into the next section? The only way to have a helpful tongue is to have a humble heart. And in Scripture, as James will teach us, is humility is always revealed by submission. Submission to those who are in authority over me. Submission to those who have the right to direct me. And so, do we cultivate a submissive spirit? Because that is the only key then to cultivating a helpful tongue. And this morning... As we are before the Lord, He not only shows us the problem, but in His wonderful grace, He helps us to see the solution. Let's bow together in prayer and thank Him and ask Him to help us.